You know, we're, we're quickly coming upon Easter. And I don't know what the government's going to do, but I suggest they get something in place before Easter. Because it's going to be awfully hard, no matter what's going on, for us not to meet here on Easter morning. Do we agree? Amen. And we're fastly approaching it. We just got just a few more weeks. And we just want to begin for these next few weeks, just getting our minds set on what took place Easter morning. So if you have your Bibles, we would like to turn our attention to Luke's gospel, chapter 19. We're going to look in verses 45 through 48. In these four verses, what we find is, is some events that were leading up to the crucifixion. As a matter of fact, what we want to look at in this passage as we spend some time here this morning is the chaos in the church. Chaos in the church. Again, Luke's gospel, chapter 19, verses 45 through 48. The Bible records these words. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who brought and who bought and sold in it saying to them it is written my house is a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves and he was teaching daily in the temple but the chief priests the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this place of hallowed ground where we can come to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we thank you for each home that's represented here today. And we pray that you'll just be in the midst of everything that's said and done. That God, you remind us that even in the midst of chaos... That we can look to you, we can find hope, we can find joy, we can find peace. We can find encouragement, we can find strength in you. So now God, be with us as we, as, and you lead, guide and direct us as we attempt to worship you. In Jesus name we do pray, amen. amen. Chaos in the church. Now, E. Stanley Jones once said, if you don't surrender to Christ, you'll surrender to chaos. When we look in this passage, we begin to see the chaos in the midst of religious leaders wanting to do things their way. We heard Brother Brian just talk about being prodigal whenever we are wanting to live our lives our way. And, and here these religious leaders were just wanting to do things their way. Rather than remembering and following what God would want them to do for their lives, they just wanted to do things their way. So as we approach this text, I, I want to help us as we come up to this text and remind us of what has taken place. Uh, we were, we're reminded of Jesus' triumphal entry. Jesus sent two of his disciples to find a colt. When they found the colt, they brought him to Jesus and, and they put their clothes on top of the colt and then helped Jesus to get on the colt. And then as Jesus drew near the Mount of Olives, the multitude of disciples 
disciples began to rejoice and they begin to praise him saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in the heaven and glory to the highest. I, I don't know if you remember this about that event that was taking place, but, but the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they wanted the crowd to calm down. But Jesus said, I'll tell you that if these should keep silent, the stone should immediately cry out. And I want to remind us just there that we should never silence ourselves for the government. We should never silence our praise of God for who's around us. We should always be be willing to praise the Lord for what he's done for us. Yeah. Folks, don't allow the stones to take your praise. You praise God when he has blessed you. Amen. We find Jesus, he draws near to the city. And he, as he looks upon the city, as he's drawing near, he, he weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps over Jerusalem because they could not see what was in front of them. They were un unable to see what was made for their peace. And then we find ourselves in today's text. Jesus has an un a triumphal entry moving toward Jerusalem. As he gets closer, he begins to weep for Jerusalem. And now he has entered into the city. And he is entering into the temple. We come to today's text. I want to share John's gospel places this event early in Jesus' ministry. However, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they place this event here toward the end of Jesus' ministry. And Mark's gospel, he, he shares that this event takes place the following day. So after Jesus has entered into and had a triumphal entry, after he has seen Jerusalem and he's wept over them, the following day he enters into the temple, according to Mark's gospel. Now, here Jesus, as he's entered into the temple, we begin to see his anger on display. Now, when we think about Jesus' anger, it's more of anguish than it is anger. He was broken over what he was seeing. And it moved him to bring correction upon those there in the temple. Now, when we look here, we see, we notice the chaos in the temple. There was utter chaos taking place in the outer court of the temple. This outer court was a place where the Gentiles would come to worship. But when Jesus entered the court of the Gentiles, it be, he became very aware that it had become a place of commercialism and it was operated by the priest. Now, it was common, uh, I want us to understand, it was common in that day for them to sell and buy in the temple. It was common for them to do this because they were men and women and families were coming from 
a, a long distances off. And as they were coming to the temple, so it made it very difficult as they were coming for these feasts to bring their own animals. So there they, and even if they brought their own animals, their animals would have to be inspected. So there was buying and selling that took place. These animals were bought for the sacrifice that would be made while they come to the temple. And, and here, uh, what we find is if you can imagine a marketplace filled with animals, filled with tired travelers, and filled with corrupt religious men. If you can imagine that, then you can imagine the chaos that was taking place in the house of God. And I want to remind this church family that the house of God is not a place for chaos. The house of God is not a place for arguing, fussing, and fighting. Instead, it's a place where we come to give glory and honor to our Lord. Listen, it doesn't matter what occasion we come to the house of God for, it's not an occasion for us to argue, fuss, and fight. If we come for Bible drill practice, if we come for choir practice, if we come for Bible study or worship service, if we come for drama practice, or even if it's a sleepover where there's a shut-in, if it doesn't matter what it is, if it's church cleanup day, and even if it's church conference, this is not a place for, uh, for utter chaos to take place. This is a place where we gather, even in those things. It's a place for us to come to worship God. Even in a conference, God is to get glory over the business that is taking place in our church. When we come to practice, when the drama team practices, when the puppet ministry practices, when the choir practices, we we come practicing that we're singing to God, we're performing to God. We're not an audience that that, that is going to be entertained, but we're an audience that gets engaged. And the only way we can get engaged is when we take our self-agendas out of the picture and realize that. Everything that we're doing is for God and his glory. While we're here, can you believe, can you believe that there are people who are church members in churches, but obviously not, not, not here at Reedy Branch. I want to make that clear. You who are visiting, now this don't take place here. It takes place elsewhere. <laughs> But there are people who look forward to a church conference every quarter or every month or maybe like we do every year for the sole purpose for speaking their mind. The sole purpose for getting their frustration with the church off their chest. You know, if I'm frustrated with the church, the first thing I need to do is go to God. Not the church conference, but go to God. Can we believe, can you believe People who say that they love the Lord and they love the Lord's people will leave their homes to go to a conference prepared and ready to give the leadership a piece of their mind. I'm talking about leadership that they elected. You know, this this doesn't happen in the house of God. And I want to remind us again that every time we enter the doors of the house of God, it's a time for God's people to glorify God and to magnify his son. It's never... A time for chaos. You know, 1 Corinthians 14, says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. 
Church family, this is serious. Why? Because the Bible says he drove out those who brought, bought and sold in the temple. He drove them out because they were causing utter chaos in the house of God. The family, here, here I want us to understand family that if we think that we can cause chaos in the house of God at any time and God won't respond, well all we need to do is just keep tempting God and God will show. Many years ago, a church in our association, it was ready to move forward from their current pastor. Their current pastor's health had, was preventing him from being able to serve the church as the church felt that they needed to be served. And one member stood up in conference and said, I will never listen to preacher so-and-so. You thought I was going to call his name. But they said they'll never listen to preacher so-and-so again. It caused utter chaos in this conference. You know, the reality is he was right. Because after causing chaos that day in conference, he missed that following Sunday. And the next week he died. And when the pastor, pastor so-and-so, preached this man's funeral, everyone who had been at conference that was at the funeral, all they could think about was the chaos this gentleman caused in the house of God. Folks, anyone who causes chaos in the house of God is, is subject to be driven out. The sad thing is we can be driven out <laughs> in many ways. Now, listen, I said this when I first came. Now, this ain't in my notes, but I remember saying this when I first come here. As long as you and the Lord are in agreement with me being here, I'll be here. But when one of the two, either you or the Lord, says, I need to go, then I'm going to go. So on that day, listen, let me, let me just help us out here. On that day that you happen to say, preacher, it's time for a change, we're going to celebrate I'm not going to bring you, uh, listen, when the church, when the church as a whole says, it's time for you to leave, we're going to celebrate because I've enjoyed the 15 years I've been here. I, I'm, you know, I'm already, we're started into the 16th year and, and I'm, I'm, I've been, I've been blessed since being here and I'd celebrate that. I, w I wouldn't want to dare diminish how good you've been to me and my family by getting angry with the church because the church is ready to go in a different direction. What we'll do, we'll celebrate and if you'll allow me, I'll help you find another pastor and we can make it a day where I leave and he walks in. I want to tell you that's the way it's supposed to be. Where it's a time of celebration for what God has blessed us with and then a time of celebrate what God is continuing to bless you with. It's not a time for, for bickering and arguing and fussing and fighting. It's a time for celebrating. Because believe it or not, there's coming a day where I'll no longer be the pastor. Either through sickness, death, or through the providence of God. Because I'm convinced of this. If you tell me to leave, God's wanting me to leave. I'm just convinced of it. Let me get to my notes. See if I can catch up. <laughs> Listen, I, I do want to say this. You know, the sad thing is we can be driven out many ways. We can be driven out by proper church discipline. We can be driven out by long-term beds of affliction. We can be driven out by terminal disease. We can be driven out by debilitating accidents or even physical death. Galatians 6 and 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Family, I plead with us. If there's ever a time when causing chaos seems to you to be what needs to be done, please don't allow the devil to fool you. But instead, surrender to the will of God. Here, chaos was in the temple. And Jesus noticed it real quickly. And he drove out those callings, causing the chaos. But not only was there chaos in the temple, the cause of the chaos was corruption. Now, we want to think, well, it's illegal to buy and sell. Well, in the church, well, it's sinful to buy and sell in the church. Well, I don't think it's tasteful to bring stuff in the sanctuary to, to sell, but it's not a sin. Here, I think, I think it, it becomes a distraction. And it's, it's just in bad taste to bring anything into the sanctuary trying to sell it here. We got other places we can sell it. We don't want to distract anything outside of what's supposed to take place in here. Here, what was taking place in this temple was corruption. The temple was is was to be held in high regard and so was the church it seemed that the purpose of them going to the temple had been forgotten the religious leaders had become very corrupt these religious leaders including the high priests they controlled the money changers so the priests were profiting from the money that was being exchanged from the sale of these sacrificial animals and from the inspection of other animals so instead of the temple serving as a place of worship and a place of prayer, it had become a place of personal gain. Also, in their desire for personal gain, they, they failed to allow, they, they allowed chaos to take place so that were, they failed to provide a place for the Gentiles to be able to truly worship the Lord. Now, here we have to understand when you walked into the temple in the first place, the outer court, that was for the Gentiles. The Jews felt the Gentiles weren't worthy enough to go where the other men was. As a matter of fact, the way the Jews felt about women, women having their proper place and they not, they not being at the, on the same standard as men, they were even inside the Gentiles and they were closer to the altar than the Gentiles. And then inside the the court for the women there was the court where the men assembled and the altar was there but then there was a there was a place that was a little further into the temple that only the high priest could go into once a year so here they are on the outer court where the Gentiles are supposed to be worshiping they diminished their worship so that they were willing to sell and buy and cause utter chaos in this area oh what corruption? They'd rather gain money than see people worship God. Yes. So when Jesus entered in and he saw this happening, he called the temple my house. Jesus is calling the temple my house. It reminds us that the, that the church, it's different. It's different than my house or your house. The church is set apart. It's sanctified. It's consecrated to him. It's a place for his presence to be made known. Here, the word my is so possessive here. In other words, the, the temple is the Lord's and it belongs to him. And contrary to popular opinion, 
The church don't belong to us. Our names may be on the deed, but it belongs to him. We who come to worship here, we're ministers. We do not own the church. And listen, if I ever get the idea and I ever have the audacity to proclaim that this is my church, then get me committed and, and you find you someone who has better sense. Because this ain't my ch- This is where God allows me to serve. It's not my church. We may, have our, we may have our names on the deed, but it's God's. It belongs to him. And it must be operated according to his will. Now, Jesus says clearly in here, my house is a house of prayer. What he's doing is he's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah 56 and 7 says, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them a, a joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. My house shall be called a house of pr- a house of prayer for all the nations. So according to this, it's the will of our Savior for the church. It's not to be a house of sacrifice. It's not to be a house of offerings. It's not to be a house of commercialism. But it's to his will for this to be a house of prayer. Prayer will lead us into worship. Prayer will lead us into praise. Prayer will lead us to depend upon him to meet our needs. Prayer will bring us into an intimate communion with God. Prayer will help us to remember the purpose of coming to the church. Uh, I want to say this to us. I don't know if you practice this or not, but I would encourage you before you leave home or before you park your vehicle, please pray that God's will be done in whatever we do in this place. And I'm so glad that, that I can pray for 20 minutes from my house to here. I can pray all the way. And today I believe I prayed at least 15 minutes of them. When I got here, there are men who gathered around right here with like minds praying for the worship service today, praying for the Sunday school today, praying that we, this church would be what God would have it be. And I'm so glad we got men who love this church enough to know that it's a house of prayer and that whatever we do needs to be soaked in prayer. Jim Sabala states this in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. The atmosphere of my father's house, Jesus seemed to say, is to be prayer. The aroma around my father must be that of people opening their hearts in worship and supplication. This is not a place to make a buck. This is a house for calling on the Lord. That's why we come, don't it? Isn't it? He's told us to come boldly to his throne of grace and we come to meet him. We come to praise him together. We come to worship him together. We come to cry out to him together. In his house of prayer. Truthfully, many of us come to the house of God for different reasons. Some of us come for Sunday school. Some of us come for worship. Some of us come for the preaching. Some of us, probably fewer, but some of us come for fellowship. But we we must remember this is a place where we come to meet together. And we agree to call upon the name of the Lord. Matthew 18 and 20 says... 
For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So family, we can call on the Lord in intercession when we're praying for one another. And we call on the Lord in supplication when we're praying for our own needs. In other words, we call on the Lord on behalf of the meeting, the needs of others, and the meeting our own. These corrupt religious leaders, they had made the house of prayer into a den of thieves. For they, are taking, they were taking advantage of their own people and they failed to provide a suitable place for the Gentile converts to worship. Well, ain't you, aren't you glad that you have leaders in place? And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about leaders in place. Not only your deacons, but your, your directors and your Sunday school teachers and, and all of those who are serving in some sort of... Aren't you glad you've got people in place that you can depend on? That you can trust that what we're doing is for the glory of God. But not only do we know that chaos and corruption was in the temple. But what we see here is there were consequences to the actions that were taking place in the temple. Now Jesus, his driving out the money changers, his stopping the prophets of the priests and calling the temple his house and it would be a house of prayer came with some consequences. We've said this over the years that for whatever action we take place, we have to be prepared for the consequences that come with those actions. And, and here, there are consequences to it. First, these religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people, they sought to destroy Jesus. After Jesus' actions, these leaders, uh, they felt their authority was slipping away. They were losing control of the temple as well as control of the people. And what seemed to be more important to them was that they were losing profits since Jesus had driven away their vendors. Now, this didn't go over well with the religious leaders. <laughs> but, you know, whenever you get in somebody's pocketbook, that never goes over well. Uh, yeah, you get in people's pocketbook, it's not going over well. That's why, that's why people will, will crucify preachers. Man, all he does is preach on tithing. Well, Jesus talked more about money than he did anything else. But you crucify preachers and pastors for it. I, I want us to understand. When you, I, I know, I'm aware that whenever we get in people's pocketbook, uh, we've created an enemy. <laughs> Yeah, the book of Acts, Paul helps us to see that we have really created an enemy because Paul encountered a slave girl who was possessed with a spirit of divination. And this girl followed Paul and Silas and Luke. And she, when she followed them, she was saying, these men are servants of the most high God who, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. For many days, this girl followed them, making this proclamation. And Paul became annoyed with her because it was almost as if she was making fun of them. And he was so annoyed that he commanded this spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, you better have some power. You better know who you are and whose you are. You better know that Jesus is leading you when you try to fool with something that's beyond you. You better know that he's the one in control. If you don't know, if you got any doubt. 
doubt, you leave it alone. Paul had no doubt. Paul was assured that if he cried out to God in the name of his son, Jesus, that he was going to move on the scene. And in that hour, the girl was set free. No more was she possessed. The problem was that the problem with all of this was that the girl, she belonged to someone else. She had a master and she was being used for profit. And when the masters found out what had happened, and this girl was no, of no more of use to them, they, they found Paul and Silas. They beat them. They threw them into prison. And what had became, what should have been a time of rejoicing for this girl who was bound in sin has now been set free. Here they were because Paul and Silas got in the pocketbook of these men. It, they became an enemy to the men. Yes, they were beaten and they were thrown in prison for setting the girl free. Here, Jesus had driven out the money changers. The religious leaders had lost their profit and they sought to kill Jesus. But even though they sought to kill Jesus, the people listened to him. <laughs> As Jesus began to teach the people in the temple, the Bible says he taught them daily. The religious leaders couldn't put their hands on him. The people were very attentive to hear what he had to say. This word, it means they hung on every word. Jesus had their undivided attention. And these religious leaders had no power to stop it. One commentator said this, the picture is this, since the triumphal entry, the day before, thousands were clinging to him, anxious to hear his word as much as they could. It was his popularity among the people that kept the leaders from arresting him. They just could not find the time or place to carry out their terrible scheme without causing an uprising among the people. Folks, ever since then, they've been trying to keep Jesus silent. They, later that same week, they arrested him. They falsely accused him. They illegally tried him. They beat him. They cursed him. They plucked hair out of his face. They pressed the crown of thorns on his head. They nailed him to an old rugged cross. They suspended him between heaven and earth. They pierced his side and they still couldn't kill him. The Bible declares that he cried out, Father, I commend my spirit into your hands. And, and, and he says, it is finished. They couldn't take his life. They were not able to silence him because on the third day, he arose under his own power, conquering death, hell and the grave. Folks, and about 335 years later, <laughs> they completed the canon of the Bible. And what we know now as the Bible, they still can't shut him up. It don't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what the people say. He is still speaking to his people daily. Oh, family, one day. He's going to split the eastern sky and he's going to take us out of this sin-cursed world and we'll never know this chaos again. But after a course of events, those who've rejected Jesus, those who've tried to destroy him, will face an enemy filled or an eternity filled with utter, utter chaos and destruction. My question is for you today, where will you be? Will you be with those who 
who he came to set free from the chaos of this world? Or will you be with those who will experience chaos and destruction for all eternity? You know what? The choice is up to you. Jesus came, he lived, and he died. He arose on the third day, and he lives forevermore. And he's calling you right now. If you're in this place, he's calling you to come. To come and receive his grace. To receive his salvation. If you believe with your heart and you're willing to confess with your mouth, the Bible declares you shall be saved. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you're ready. Maybe you've put it off too long and you're ready. You've got so much to look forward to that you can't look behind you. I want to tell you that that windshield in front of you when you're driving a vehicle, it's much larger than that rear view mirror. So what's in front of you is greater than what's behind you. So whatever's behind you, leave it there and enter into a new life with Jesus. If you're ready for this new life, would you just pray with me, God? I am a sinner. And I believe your son, Jesus Christ, came into this world and laid down his life for me. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. For I receive Jesus as my Savior. God, thank you for saving me. Now lead me. Guide my steps and direct my paths as I follow you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Oh, if you prayed this prayer, you meant it in your heart. And you believe you're saved today. But the Bible says that if you believe and confess. If you believe with the heart. <laughs> that Jesus is the son of God. With the mouth, confession is made. Unto salvation. If you're ready to do this. Would you just come and share this with me?